conflict is really not a problem, that mismanagement is the problem. So conflict is what it is. And I don't even say embrace conflict. Let's all act like we love it. I don't love it. I still don't love it. I'm not nearly as frightened of it. I still, like you say, deal with different people, different circumstances. When I'm tired, when I haven't eaten, I'm a little shakier on it. So it's not about embracing it. It's about facing it and saying it's just an opportunity to expand. So it's not a problem. The problem is the way that I mismanage it. And if I'm mismanaging by pretending that I'm not angry, if I'm mismanaging by moving someone into a different department so that someone else gets the problem. (laughs) That's what a lot lot of people wish for. Yeah. (laughs) If I'm mismanaging by like, we're going to document today so I can fire you tomorrow. (laughs) Mismanagement is my problem. It'll always come back to bite you. But if I start learning the skill sets and the inner game to manage conflict, then it is something that's expansive and helps me grow as a leader and as a human being. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome to this powerful episode of CEO on the go that features my conversation with my good friend, Marlene Chisholm. I love it when I have the opportunity to interview someone that I know so well, and I'm eager to share her brilliance with you. Marlene has deep expertise in relationships and communication, and I believe that's ultimately what helps drive success in your business. We talk frequently about our work, what we observe, what we're learning through our experiences. It's rare that I've encountered someone who is so committed to personal growth and is so energized by learning, teaching, and helping people work through difficult situations. So we have a lot in common. Marlene knows how to bring conversations to the table that really need to be had, and she's helping leaders do the same. She works with top leaders and their teams to build drama-free cultures that drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. She's written a number of books and just launched her new book called From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. So if you have challenges dealing with conflict or avoiding conflict, you are in the right place. I think we all encounter conflict, some people more than others, just because we're human beings. So I encourage you to check out Marlene's work and follow her on LinkedIn. She's getting glowing feedback on her training programs, and I know that you'll benefit from her insights. Enjoy my conversation with Marlene Chisholm. Marlene, welcome back to CEO On The Go podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Gail, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. Yeah, it's great. I said again, you're one of the few, maybe the only that I've had back so far, because you were one of the the early guests that I had when I first launched this podcast a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, I'm approaching 100 episodes. And I thought this is just a wonderful time to bring you in and celebrate the launch of your book and to talk about the concepts in it, from conflict to courage. And you and I talk about this all the time offline. So this is this is kind of an interesting way for us to record our conversation today that I think will be really helpful to uh, listeners 
of the podcast. So, so. yeah. So of course, you know, the obvious question is, you know, why did you write this book? And because I've seen the behind the scenes and I know, but how can you uh, help others understand what was the motivation for writing? You know, Gail, I started out um, teaching difficult conversations as a full day workshop or as a coaching session, have a, a client that I've been doing that for, for about eight years. And what I started noticing, not not in specifically with this client, but what I started noticing with the other consulting projects and so on, I started noticing a theme and the theme was avoidance. And what I started to see was that every big problem, even all the way to a lawsuit, you could trace it back to a conversation that should have happened, but didn't. And um, it was avoidance, 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 avoidance. And I had no indication that was what I was going to uncover but through the difficult conversations piece and through the consulting work, I just started seeing that pattern. Yeah, I, I see that pattern as well with the clients that I'm working with too, even top leaders. It, it's not easy to deal with conflict and avoidance behavior is is kind of a go-to uh, response. So tell me then, I, I you know, in looking through the book, uh, which I'm so excited to get because it launches by the time that this podcast airs, uh, one of the chapters specifically and a lot of the themes that you write about has to do with leadership clarity. So I really wanted to start there and get your take on you know, why clarity is so important, how people can find it. So just just your your thinking. Well, Gail, you're going to resonate with this because you and I as consultants, we a lot of times get someone that is at the top of an organization on the top layer, let's say, and they call and they think they have it figured out and they want a coaching uh, contract or they want a workshop or they want an initiative and they've already got it figured out. And what I wanted to make the distinction of in this book is a concept called leadership clarity, not just clarity. I've been working with clarity for a long time. And anyone that knows my work, I use this um, little, I guess, picture cartoon of a boat, an island and a shark. We're always trying to get to the island and we have to be clear about what we want, not necessarily how to get there, but we do have to be clear about what we want. And then there's always an obstacle of some sort that stands in the way. So clarity is that ability to to vision and to see what you want, to create strategy. And I took it one step further in this book because of that problem of people trying to tell me how to consult. I want you to come in for a workshop and three coaching sessions. And solve it. (laughs) You feel it, don't you? Yeah. I want an assessment. I want to know what we are on the assessment, you know, on the disc or on whatever kinds of assessment you use, because I think that's going to help us get along better or accomplish our goals. So I decided to really dig deep into leadership clarity. And leadership clarity is being able to identify and articulate the situation, the outcome, and the obstacles, either real or perceived. So the situation is what is missing a lot of times. I know something's not working, but I can't articulate it. And the situation is the boat. The island is the outcome. What's going to happen after we do this initiative? How do you know that we're successful? And then what's going to stand in the way? Is it resources? Is it policy? Is it a committee that might not say we can do this until we know those three points of attraction, we're not really able to create and help co-create a, a good solution or a good outcome. Right. So just to reiterate, having clarity about who you are, increasing your self-awareness is one key, uh, having greater clarity around your current situation, what's really happening, and then clarity around the specific outcome that you want. 
Yeah, I look at specifically three points, the situation, the outcome, and the obstacle. Yeah, and then awareness about self. I talk about that from a perspective of leadership identity. So I make a distinction, which you're right. I mean, you have to know yourself and how you see yourself. And a lot of people haven't really thought about that, especially brand new leaders. And that's kind of the problem in organizations is a new leader comes on board, but they've not had any orientation no training. And sometimes training is not relevant till it's till you're in the mix of it. That, that's for sure. But they don't have any idea about who they are as a leader or what it's going to require. So leadership identity is how you see yourself. And leadership clarity is how you see the situation. That's the distinctions I make. Yeah. Tell me maybe an example of somebody where you've seen a shift where maybe they, they thought that they had a certain identity, but then after your work with them or uh, understanding some of the principles that you teach, things were different. Do you have any examples? Okay. Yeah. In fact, I've got a concept first. I'll lay some foundation. And I talk about this in the book. I call it aligned leadership identity. And what I mean by that is I see myself as a leader, but so does everyone else. Because there's a problem when I see myself as a leader, but others don't. So therefore they don't respect me or they think I'm a bully boss, not a leader. So that's a problem if I'm not aligned with how other people see me as well. And the same problem exists If like, let's say your boss sees you as a leader because you were a great salesperson or you had a great work ethic, you were never late, you did your work, you got things done, you're a star performer. But because you don't really see yourself as a leader or you don't understand leadership, you get your accolades from being a star performer. So therefore, you don't know that now it's about shining the spotlight on others and supporting them. So there's no aligned leadership identity just yet. You still identify as a star performer or as one of them. And so the ways that I've seen this happen, I've had a lot of initial phone calls from someone at a managerial level, maybe a mid-level manager. They've seen something on LinkedIn that I've done or they've read a book and they call me and they do the same thing the upper level leaders do. I think I need a workshop for all my people, or I think I need coaching. What do you charge? That's before we've even talked about the problem. But what happens is they see themselves, I I call it three different kind of identities, hero, best friend, and hands off. And so if I see myself as a best friend, I don't see myself as a leader because they're going to collide at some point with supporting the organizational goals if you have to make a tough decision. Yeah. And that's hard for people who've been promoted, like they're at a level with their peers, then they're promoted to another level where they might have seen themselves as a friend and trying to retain that kind of relationship, but it's different. Yeah. And I see another struggle with some leaders feeling like they have to force fit themselves into an identity that they think they should have, you know, based on the culture or other leaders in the organization uh, or family. You know, there are all kinds of reasons for that. I think it's so important what you're saying for, for people just to know who they are, own who they are and um, come from that place. And you bring up a good point about culture, too, you know, because at a certain level, if you don't fit into the culture, you might fit in as a worker bee. But as a leader, if some of what you have to do as a leader goes against your own values, and I know that you do assessments and and things like help companies understand their leadership in a certain culture, but a lot of people don't really understand that you can have skills and you can have this inner awareness. You can have this alignment within and you can have the skill sets. But if the culture, for example, I've worked in cultures where the top level just were not ever comfortable with any kind of conflict, they would pretend that it didn't exist. Oh, no, we don't do that. We are professional. We, you know, no one gets fired here. They choose to eliminate themselves, which I agree with that concept. But the reality is, 
they they lost their job because they weren't performing. Oh, we don't like the word performance. See, those things are going to be, I've heard that. We don't, we don't use the word performance. That's because you're afraid of conversations about performance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Great insight. So I want to get right to some common scenarios that I see and that you see too, when people who are facing a difficult situation, say it's another person that they know that they feel like they have to confront or there's something that needs to be resolved and they don't know how to have the conversation. Um, what would be a good starting point for someone like that who's kind of naturally resistant to having that kind of conversation and dealing with conflict constructively? You know, I think more of us than not are resistant to that. We can say that we're not, but it's just a matter of it's never fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of context and level. The reason it's difficult is because it doesn't feel good, or because you like that person, or because you have a lot on your plate right now, and you feel like you might lose it, or they might cry. There's lots of reasons. My first step, which is different, I think, than what's out there in a lot of books, I have a concept that is this: there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict first. So I really advise people to work on what I call the inner game and what that means. For example, I've had something in my own family life here lately where I felt a lot of resentment. Well, now I have to take my own medicine, right? Like I can't have that conversation from a place of resentment because it will come off as accusatory, a judgmental, it'll come off as harsh and it won't come off as my hurt. It'll come off as my judgment. So what I've learned is the inner conflict is I know I need to have a conversation, but I have so much resentment, so much judgment. I've got a story and narrative going on about their intention. And until I can work through that, and sometimes that might take a week or, or two days, the challenge with that is that sometimes once we kind of resolve it internally, we think it's over because we no longer feel as bad. We've worked through it. We've let it process but the truth is, it was pretty bad at one point. So you probably still need to have a conversation. That's where we get into avoidance because we worked through it. We talked about it. We gossiped about it. We journaled about it. And now I feel okay and I can let it go. But the truth is, you haven't let it go. There was something hurtful that needed a boundary. There was something that needed to be addressed that you need to be curious about. But it's very difficult to be curious when you're that angry. So for my example, I waited a couple of days. I let things process. I journaled about it. And then when I felt I could do it in a way that was be very loving. And from a place of, I care about our relationship, I was able to, to have the conversation. So the same principle applies to leaders. If you need to talk to someone about their behavior or their performance, you have to resolve your inner conflict about it first. You have to be okay with the conversation from the perspective of helping them to improve and to realign versus I'm going to document so that I can fire. Mm -hmm. So that's a different intent. And that is felt by the person that you're dealing with. And what I really appreciate so much about your work is the depth that you show. It's it's not just, oh, say this phrase, or here's a word that you can use <laughs> to help you know, make it better. I mean, language is, I think, an important part of dealing with conflict. But to your point, if you haven't done the inner work, then it's, it's just kind of window dressing and is not going to last. Well, and we lie to ourselves. I have a part in this book that's called Emotional Integrity, and I make a distinction between emotional integrity and emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. And emotional integrity, how it's different, you absolutely have to have emotional awareness. Oh, I know I feel something. I know that that triggered me. I know that I feel angry and my thoughts about it are this. That's emotional awareness. I kind of know how things work. That it triggers me when I get interrupted, and especially when Bob does it, because I think he I think he doesn't respect women, whatever our story or our interpretation. 
this. So I can have that awareness and I can even have the intelligence to know that I need to just withhold when that happens. I can have that intelligence. But integrity is where I just take ownership. This is the hardest thing I found. And I've really been getting tested a lot with this lately. So, you know, you and I, we write, we think, we think deeply, we read all the time and we can think we have something. And then like it comes back to haunt us with we got to put it into practice in our own lives so we can be effective as consultants. But my take is this emotional integrity is we we take ownership of our inner landscape, our experience. So even though someone did something and even though they shouldn't have. I feel what I feel, and I'm the only one that can change that, regardless of what they decide to do. So I know that that's mine. That doesn't feel good because it feels so much better to blame because blame alleviates that suffering momentarily. Then the next step, I, I can do this fairly good now, but it's about just face your dark side. The dark side is I can be petty. I felt resentful. Um, I feel like getting back at them. I, I have these thoughts about wanting them to have some bad luck, whatever that is. You know, I don't have as much of that darkness because I've faced it so often, um, whether it's uh, jealousy or resentment, whatever it might be. And then the last part of it is to represent yourself. So it's okay to tell someone, when I saw that, I was really angry, or I still feel a, a tinge of, of anger over this or some resentment. I'm dealing with resentment and I don't want to feel it, but I do. It takes a lot of vulnerability to tell someone that like that hurt me know that that bothered me I feel resentment and I don't want to uh, or I'm aggravated I'm irritated like to just say that alleviates all that elephant in the room and now I'm not saying you're responsible for it but I'm saying this is my experience and how can we shift it yeah man and that's sensitive especially in the workplace I know some clients who are choosing not to have the conversation uh, or they they're acknowledging the feelings that they have or there may be some resentment or or anger or whatever you know is is kind of eating them up on the inside but they've made a deliberate choice to, I guess to deal with it in their own way believing that it may not even have an impact if they were to talk to the person or people who are involved Yes, but, but you never know the outcome of the choice you didn't take. And one of the things I hear all the time is, well, I already know what they're going to say. Yes, that's so common. And there's truth in that. I say it, I've said it. You know what they're going to say because you have a history and because you're you're observant and because you are smart. Of course, you know, because you've done it a thousand times. But here's what I try to tell people. Are you willing to say it anyway, even though you already know, because you're now coming from a different perspective of instead of reacting, I already know what I think they're going to say, but I'm going to allow space for that to happen. And I'm going to hold my space. and I'm going to say, can we hang out here for a moment? Instead of me going, I knew it. You're always this way. You're never, because like my reaction is the thing I have to work on. So if it's okay for them to say it, then I can still ask it because I already know that they're going to. But what I found is that this helps us to build space and come from a different perspective. And when we come from a different perspective, very often it just slows time down and they don't say what they've always said. They sense the energy that you're coming from, that you're providing space and you're no longer going to play the ping pong. You're just going to let them say no immediately. And you might just say, can we discuss? I, I, had a feeling you might say no, but would you hang out with me, even though it's uncomfortable? When you start to do that, it is amazing how your relationships transform. Yeah, I love the fact that you're making it invitational, you know? Hang out with me. Could we just discuss? Or I feel really passionate, and I'm perceiving that you do too. Could we revisit when we both had some time? Because if you say, look, you need to calm down. Mm, oh, no, my no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's like, oh, take part ownership of like, 
I've had people say, well, you act like you're, well, you know what? You're a part of this too. You triggered this, right? Like, don't just tell me it's me acting childish or me getting loud. Own, own part of it to say, like, I feel nervous now or I feel a bit passionate too. Can we just take a moment? I think people appreciate when you co-own the problem versus it's your fault, you're immature, I've got it all together and you need to calm down. I think that never gets you to where you want to go because any one of us can be subject to those triggers no matter how much we study, no matter how much we try. I, I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. So I always say I'm not trying to be a sage on the stage. I'm just trying to be in the boat with everybody else. And when I learn something, I try to just share it and teach it. Right. And, you know, we have different responses on different days, you know, depending on on how we're feeling and what we're doing and who we're around. So it's it's not always going to be consistent. If we're trying to diet, you know, trying to lose a few LBs, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little more cranky during those times. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of variables that can can impact that. But um, I love the hope that you you give to people who who struggle with this and, you know, talk about what what conflict can do to actually help you move forward. In, in better ways. So I'm, I'm curious to know, going back to your book, um, what, what is your hope for the book? You know, if you had to say, what do you, what do you really hope that people will take away or what will be better in their lives or their work? What, what would you say? That conflict is really not a problem. That mismanagement is the problem. So conflict is what it is. And I don't even say embrace conflict. Let's all act like we love it. I don't love it. I still don't love it. I'm not nearly as frightened of it. I still, like you say, Gail, with different people, different circumstances. When I'm tired, when I haven't eaten, I'm a little shakier on it. So it's not about embracing it. It's about facing it. It's just an opportunity to expand. So it's not a problem. The problem is the way that I mismanage it. And if I'm mismanaging by pretending that I'm not angry, if I'm mismanaging by moving someone into a different department so that someone else gets the problem. (laughs) That's what a lot lot of people wish for. Yeah. (laughs) If I'm mismanaging by like, we're going to document today so I can fire you tomorrow. (laughs) Mismanagement is my problem. It'll always come back to bite you. But if I start learning the skill sets and the inner game to manage conflict, then it is something that's expansive and helps me grow as a leader and as a human being. Yes. So conflict is not the problem. It's the mismanagement of conflict. That's the real problem. So what would you say if there's a team issue? What what kind of conversation would a leader need to have if they're observing conflict on the team? They may not even be directly involved, but they sure are hearing about it, you know, with people coming to them saying so-and-so is not doing their work or... You know, we're not able to to reach the the milestone or the project's failing. And, you know, there there's clearly issues going on with the team that can overwhelm a leader. But, you know, there's conflict involved. So what, what would be a story? Move the troublemaker to a different department. No. <laughs> <laughs> the easy fix. Yeah. Do a disc assessment and find out who you need to walk out of the throw, throw a workshop afterwards. Yeah, good. the easy fix. So, right. So, um, What I say with team is like as a leader, in fact, I just wrote about this on my LinkedIn newsletter and I put on the title leadership trap, avoid power of attorney. And what I mean by that, if someone comes to you complaining about their boss, and let's say you are their boss's boss, you have to listen. You have to listen because a complaint means something's not working. There's an outcome that's, you know, needed or resource that's not available. There's some reason. But when you start allowing people to talk about their boss to you and you're you're the boss of the boss. You are now a secret keeper and they're they're using that as a way to come and vent and it has to be about rebuilding the relationship. So 
I say, don't let anyone represent someone else. Don't say everybody agrees. Everybody thinks this boss is horrible. And then you're like, okay, I better watch out for it. You have to say, let's bring them in. Or have you tried talking with them? Or let me coach you on your next steps. Because if you don't know how to coach as an upper level leader, you're going to keep throwing solutions at it that aren't going to help. And that is the skill I see missing at the top level is not understanding these concepts of letting other people gossip to them or complain about problems. And then they put their subordinate leader on a performance improvement plan, you know, and, and maybe that's not needed. Maybe it's you need to talk to your leader and, and to the employees and figure out what's missing, what's not aligned, what's not clear. Uh, where where does this misalign with the values of the organization? Did we give that leader the training and support? So that's what I see happening a lot is that blind side. Either I don't tell my boss my problem or else I talk about other people because I don't know how to handle my conflict. So I go tell my boss, hoping my boss can solve that problem. You have to take ownership of the problems you have. And it's okay to go to talk to someone for the purpose of resolving it and being willing to represent yourself in that meeting should you have a three-way meeting. Because what I see is a lot of rescuing, a lot of wink-wink, a lot of we'll move them. Look, they're getting ready to retire. You've just got six months. Just deal with it. I see, (laughs) which there's reality in that. But if it's been going on for 20 years, it means there's a pattern there of avoidance. So it's just don't blindside. Stop representing other people. Stop saying everybody feels this way. If you're a boss, you say, I perceive, I've noticed, I'm concerned about, not everybody says you're not pulling your weight. I'm concerned that the the work is, is not distributed evenly. Here's what I've noticed. If you own that as a boss, it's different than saying, all of your coworkers keep coming to me telling me about your bad performance. You are going to ruin the team if you do something like that. So the leader has to guide the outcome and has to have that clear vision of how to get that outcome. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Stating your observations um, and being careful about generalizing statements like that. And believing everything you hear. And believing everything you hear. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, Well, real quick, I just want to talk about peer-to-peer relationships and some of the sensitivities, you know, in upper ranks, uh, partners and uh, professional service firms and senior level executives it really doesn't matter the industry. I always say people are people, so they experience similar emotions and challenges. But what is some of some of your advice for people who are in senior leadership roles where they may be avoiding some of their colleagues or you know that there's conflict of some kind happening? Is there a different approach or special advice? You know, it's really it's all the same approach. It's just a little different. Uh, construct, I guess, a little bit of different um, context. You know, whenever you're the boss, you have power. Whenever you're the colleague, you, you know, there's everything that, whether it's a relationship, if I'm the boss or the employee, I'm your equal or I'm talking upward, there's always a power issue at play. So with colleagues, you always, again, you want to resolve the inner conflict and know what you want to have happen. What is it you're wanting from them that you're not getting? Part of leadership clarity in any kind of conflict is to say, this is a question I ask all the time in my consulting, and it's also in the book. What is happening that should not be happening? Or what is not happening that should be happening? Because you can identify as a leader and everybody on your team can be the board of directors or the leader or whatever. If you, you can all identify as leaders and everybody else thinks you are. What might be missing is leadership clarity of why did we come together? What is our outcome? What is our purpose? Does this align with our mission, vision, and values? That's really where you start problem solving in your head. Because if it's just a personality glitch, it's just a conversation about, hey, Fred, I'd like to finish my sentence. 
I know you're passionate. You've got great ideas. I want to finish. Just something like that very simply might fix the problem versus Fred interrupts every single time. And now I go tell my best friend, watch how Fred's going to interrupt. And now we're all looking for it. Let's stir it up. Yeah. Stir it up. And I could say, hey, I've noticed, like you could even say in a group of leaders to say, and this is a group at a meeting, I've noticed that we tend, we're all leaders, we're all passionate, but we tend to interrupt each other. I'd like to make a suggestion. This isn't, you know, keeping us productive like we need to be, and we need to be the models of this. I would like to make a suggestion. And you make a suggestion or two. But again, you have to represent yourself because there's bullies, believe it or not, even at the C-suite and board level. Absolutely. The more power, the more connections you see it all the time. And we, we don't like to think that it's there, but it is. And so to be able to say, you know, what's our purpose here? Um, I'm feeling or I'm sensing that we're getting off track. This should have been done before the meeting. Like, it's okay. You just have to represent yourself. Now, there's a risk. There's a risk at that level that others say, no, I don't feel that way. Well, okay, then I've, I've represented myself. It's okay. Others don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And there's a risk in not addressing it too, right? I know you've written about the cost of avoidance and all of that. What I see too is even at that level, there's sidebar conversations and coffee, the meeting after the meeting. Did you notice how so-and-so did X and like next time <laughs> I'm going to do Y? Mm-hmm. And, you know, even like in nonprofits, let's say, you know, you have a board of directors and let's say you have 12 to 14 board of directors and one executive director. Well, that executive director is there to do the will of the board, not to do the will of 12 or 14 individual bosses. And until you understand that, you're going to have a lot of drama and conflict because you don't, as an individual board member, start giving orders over email or over text or over a phone call without it being a voted on a procedure. And I've seen those kind of problems in nonprofits to where the board members are not clear of their role and how things are supposed to work in that organization. Mm-hmm. I see that too. Yes. There's so many examples. We could go on and on, right? And I love the specific tips you're giving on how to phrase questions and observations. I think that that's especially helpful to people listening. So I know that we like to keep things fairly short on CEO on the go. And I just wanted to allow you to share any final thoughts or tips that might be helpful to people who care about this topic. I would say just remember that disagreement doesn't cause relationship problems. Disrespect does. And we are losing this ability to be respectful when we disagree. Technology is moving at such rapid pace. Our ability to use an app to go buy something and have it delivered on our doorstep the next day, to go type up something hot and put it on Twitter and to have a Twitter war. We are losing our ability to to build space between stimulus and response, and it's making us irresponsible leaders. So I would say if you learn anything or take anything from our conversation today, make a decision that is a leadership decision that you will never be disrespectful, even if you disagree violently that you will never use your power and your position to get on Twitter, to start calling people names, because it's not the disagreement that's causing the problem. It's the mismanagement and the disrespect. Mm, That's so good. Well, I know we're still on the tip of the iceberg, and you have so many other resources that you've developed. So can you tell people the best way to, to reach you and access what you've created? Yeah, so you can get the the books anywhere. Here it is. (laughs) Anywhere where books are sold. (laughs) You can get the book on Amazon or Porchlight Books if you want want to get uh, multiples because there's a a piece in there where you can have a book club. I, I build all my books for the purpose of having book clubs. So at the end, there's a learning guide 
for a book discussion. You can also get that at my website at marlenechisholm.com. We had the publisher build a, just a two or three sheet so that you can print it off and not have to write all of your books, especially if you're involved in different book clubs. So you can go to marlenechisholm.com. You can find a sneak peek if you go to the book link or you can get the learning guide. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I do a live once a month and it's usually on some sort of topic within the book. And then I have articles on Smart Brief. And then also I have my own LinkedIn newsletter where when something just triggers me or hits me or I'm going through something, I write about it there and starting to build that list a little bit. So you can contact me all those ways. And if you follow on LinkedIn, then you'll get notified of when I'm going live. Yes. Well, I encourage everyone to follow you and to take advantage of the resources, knowing that this this is a challenge that you need to have ongoing support for. You know, it's not something that you can, can change overnight. Um, and it's so important. And like I said, the depth that you offer is is so valuable. And so I appreciate the work that you're doing and the impact that you're making. And I'm honored to to have you as a friend and colleague on oh, this journey. So, so yeah, yes, we've had so much fun over this, what, four or five years, six year journey of knowing each other and talk almost every day. So. I know. And to, to know that the book is finally here, the book that we've been talking about, and I will have it in my hands. I know that those of you who are listening, you can't see we're on Zoom, but I, I wore uh, a scarf to look like her book cover today. So you'll have to go to LinkedIn to see <laughs> see the screenshot. But that's the best I can do. But I'm so glad the book is here as of um, this recording. And again, encourage people to, to take it, read it, apply it, and improve their life and their work. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm sure we'll talk again. Yes, thanks for having me. Great. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week dealing with conflict constructively and doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.